Well, we have a couple of special guests today, this morning. Um, we actually have Tom and Linda Clinton who are here. They were the uh, founding members of uh, First Love International, and he was, the, um, he was the president for over 20 years. And in the beginning of this year, in March, I believe, right? In March? Uh, he passed uh, the baton to Phil Smith, uh, and so we also have Phil and Jessica Smith uh, with us. Phil and his wife Jessica have a heart for global missions from early on. They were both raised in missionary families in Southeast Asia. Phil served as a pastor in Alaska for 10 years, and then um, for what was then LRI, which is now Word Partners, which we also support, we've supported for a number of years, as well as First Love. Um, But he was the pastor there for another 10 years, or he was the president, executive director, for another 10 years, uh, before receiving an invitation to lead First Love into its next chapter. Having a son with Down syndrome has also opened Phil and Jessica's eyes to the widespread need for ministry to vulnerable people groups. Phil and Jessica live in, uh, have four children and live in the Chicago area. So uh, we're excited to have you guys. And Phil, please come and open God's word to us. Well, good, good morning. And how's the sound? Ooh, I think I'm here. It's great to be with you all. And yes, my wife Jessica is here with me. And our uh, uh, four children are not. And. Um, they, uh, we are part of College Church in, in Wheaton, and uh, our oldest son is part of a program there uh, this morning. And uh, so, you know, I was thinking, it feels like uh, when you perhaps move into a new neighborhood and you realize your neighbor uh, you went to high school with, and so you have so many different stories to talk about, this is a church that... Uh, I've known you for quite some time, Um, so uh, Steve Lesson, uh, some of you know him, he's a pastor at uh, Kishwaukee uh, Bible Church, and uh, he was a pastor in Alaska for six, seven years or so, Uh, well I followed up after him at that church, Uh, I served there for 10 years, and uh, so he became a very good friend and, and mentor of mine. So it was as we started connecting that I got connected with uh, Steve Brandon. And, um, and then when I was with uh, Word Partners, uh, again, a number of connections with Steve and actually used a room in here in this uh, building at one time. And so uh, uh, got to know Alan Jin, who many of you know, as you've been uh, supporting work in Nepal. Uh, and so when I uh, joined a First Love uh, then to know that you all are connected with both Word Partners and uh, First Love. It's been, it's been a wonderful, it's fun uh, reconnecting uh, with Steve. And uh, too bad Steve isn't here, but I guess he's having a good time beside a pool, I hear, uh, in California. And uh, so um, I would love to, in, I'd like to invite you um, to our banquet uh, First Love Banquet, uh, the evening of September 19th. Uh, uh, please, uh, you'll, you'll, the church will get an invitation, so you'll see, and you can RSVP on our, our website, but we'd love to have you there. We're going to be uh, celebrating the 20-plus years that uh, uh, Tom and, and Linda have been uh, uh, leading uh, First Love and um, uh, telling many stories about that time. Actually, uh, I have a connection with uh, 
uh, Tom and Linda, because uh, I'm an MK. My wife is also a missionary kid from uh, the Philippines. And so I went to school with Tom and Linda's kids, played baseball with their their son. And um, so it was a lot of uh, wonderful connections with them. Uh, but also at this, this, uh, this banquet, we will be talking about the, the future, where we uh, hope to, to go at First Love, and um, uh, rough draft of a new purpose statement we're working on, First Love exists to connect believers together around the world in order to tangibly surround the most vulnerable with holistic, Jesus-saturated love. That's what we're about, and, and uh, you've heard about First Love's work in, in Nepal to orphans and, and widows, exploited children. Uh, you'll also hear about uh, our work with exploited people in, in the Philippines and where Tom and Linda serve in Kenya, um, Pakistan, um, uh, Ukraine, and other parts of, uh, of the world, those who are the very lowest uh, in, in society. One of the groups that's very low in society are those with disabilities. I don't know if you knew this, but there are an estimated uh, one billion people with a significant disability uh, around the world. That's 15% of the world's population has a significant disability, and only 5 to 10% of them have access to the gospel. In some sense, it's the largest unreached people group in the world. And that's why Jessica and I are uh, thrilled to be part of First Love, which is focused on the most vulnerable. If you, perhaps you, you see our, our photo, whether here or, or, or here, uh, my oldest son has, has Down syndrome. And so we've been uh, uh, very much uh, in, integrated in that uh, community and aware of, of the needs there. Uh, so if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. So if you find the New Testament, and turn to Matthew chapter 21. And as we turn there, let's, uh, let's bow our heads and Ask God's blessing on our time in His Word. Just take a moment, actually, in the quietness of your own heart to ask God to uh, work in your heart um, this morning. Father, we want to come humbly to your word. We come recognizing it's only through your spirit that we can truly understand it and apply it to our lives. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would be very active in our minds and hearts. Help us to listen well to you and your word. And then live in response to it. We do this by your grace. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 
Well, let me read the first part of uh, Matthew chapter 21. And uh, so chapter 21 of Matthew, we have the triumphal entry here. We'll talk about the context in a bit. Let's dive in here. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? The crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the wealthy and upstanding people in the community came to Jesus in the temple, and he spoke with them. Uh Uh-oh. If you were reading along, you'll see I didn't read what was there. Now, what does it say? Who were the first ones welcomed in the temple by Jesus after overturning the tables of the money changers? Those with disabilities. Those people who were the very bottom of society at the time. And I'll read the rest of the passage shortly, but I want to stop here and note the significance of what's going on here. Look back at at verse 13. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And if And those who were familiar with the Old Testament would have known what Isaiah said immediately after that, uh, called the house of prayer for all people. In contrast to a welcoming spirit for everyone to come and pray in the temple, he calls them a den of robbers. These, These money changers. You see in verse, in verse 12. At the time, in order to make sacrifices, you had to use temple currency. And so if you had any other kind of currency, uh, you'd have to exchange it. And these money changers were doing so at an exorbitant rate. And so it's blatant robbery. 
And even more, he was keeping out the poor and the marginalized, like the blind and lame from entering. So in a sense, what they were doing was they were denying access to worshiping God. Before we go any further, let me lay uh, the, uh, uh, get a lay of the land where, where we're at in our Bibles. Well, we're in Matthew, one of the four Gospels, and uh, as these Gospels do, they describe the life and ministry of Jesus, uh, but each one is, is, has its own nuance and emphasis, and this one, traditionally understood to be written by Matthew, who's a disciple of Jesus, ironically who was Matthew, before he became a disciple, he was a sort of robber himself, right? He was a tax collector, uh, and people hated them for they were not only supporting the Romans, but uh, also adding exorbitant fees that they pocketed. So Jesus has mercifully welcomed Matthew to be a disciple, gave a hated man access to God, well... So now, Matthew was, a, uh, like many Jews at the time, very well-versed in uh, the Old Testament, the Jewish Scriptures. And so in comparison with these other Gospels, Matthew quotes the Old Testament far more than the, the other Gospels, emphasizing that Jesus is the promised Messiah foretold from the Old Testament. But it's a very different kind of king than the people expected. Not on a war horse to defeat the Romans, but notice, notice what we've already read there, back up in verse 5. Jesus comes as a king, humble, and mounted on a, a donkey. Humble or gentle. Earlier on in Matthew uh, chapter 11, Jesus said, take my yoke upon... Upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's this theme of Jesus' humility. Matthew is, it has the particular structure to it. There are five big chunks of teaching in this book. You're very familiar probably with the, uh, one of the first, the first major chunk. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Well, the chunk that has just, the teaching that has just taken place, chapter 18 through 20, is uh, one, another one of these major chunks of teaching. And this section I've just read comes right after that. And what we have in this big section of, of Jesus' teaching, 18 through, uh, through 20, the theme is... Who are those in the community of this kind of king? Look back at the beginning of chapter 18. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What's the community like in this kingdom? Verse 2, and calling to him a child. He put him in the midst of them and saying, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you never enter the kingdom of heaven. And you start seeing a theme in this section. Look down at uh, uh, 
uh, verse 10, you see the parable of the lost sheep and how it ends in verse 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He comes back to children in chapter 19, verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. It's to the lowly. And then, you say, then there's another repeated refrain in, in the end of chapter 19, verse 30, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is an upside-down kingdom, very different from the world. It comes up again, chapter 20, verse 16. So the last will be first and the first last. And again, the question of who is greatest in the kingdom comes up again in chapter 20. You have James and John trying to see if they can be at the right hand of of Jesus. And in verse 26 of chapter 20, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it is then blind people, end of chapter 20, who recognize Jesus as the Son of David and come to Jesus for mercy and help. And here now is their king, humble, on a donkey. And who is the ones, first ones, welcome to the temple? Those who are last, the marginalized. Oh, and we haven't gotten there yet. Verse 15 of chapter 21, the children come back. It's them who are singing about Jesus. And see, what a theme we see throughout the Gospels. It's the, it's the, it's the children, it's the last, it's the servants, it's the, it's the outcasts, it's the disabled, it's the despised tax collector. That's who Jesus prioritizes. I guess some of you are taking notes. In God's kingdom, the prioritized people are the humble who follow the humble king. In God's kingdom, the prioritized people are the humble who follow the humble king. Who does the world tend to prioritize? Well, we even see them here. Rich money changers, self-righteous chief priests. Ever since the fall, it's the rich, the famous, the celebrities, the powerful, the charismatic, the eloquent, the talented, and the list goes on. And the church is very influenced by this. Look at Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth. They were very impressed with the eloquent, with the charismatic, with those with commendable gifts and skills. And they wanted to sideline Paul, who wasn't all that impressive. What kind of people are you drawn to? What kind of people are prioritized in our lives? 
I've titled this message, Another Look at the Overlooked, because as I preached through the Gospels uh, on a regular basis, I think when I got to the, the miracles of Jesus healing the, uh, those with disabilities, and you see them throughout the Gospels, I encourage you to read it and look how often. My emphasis, and it's a correct emphasis, it's a correct emphasis, is that Jesus' power to heal. I mean, remarkable power right in front of you. Twisted arms are straightened out, all the muscles, ligaments, amazing miracle. But I probably didn't emphasize enough something else that's going on at the very same time. It's a message of who Jesus is moving toward. He was moving toward those who were the very bottom of society at the time. Not only shows his power, shows his heart. A compassion to those who've been rejected and marginalized from society, the neediest. neediest. There's something else I'd overlooked. Matthew often gives Jesus the title of Son of David, and we actually saw the people singing Hosanna, chapter 21, verse 9. Hosanna to the... Son of David. Okay, you Bible scholars out there, I have a pop quiz for you. After after God made his covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, what is the very first extended story of David? About David. It's a name that's hard to pronounce, but David's interaction with Mephibosheth in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. So David asked about the descendants of, of the previous king, King Saul, and David is told that there's a grandson of Saul that still lives, and the story very much emphasizes at the beginning and at the very end, Mephibosheth was crippled. He was lame in both feet. And David welcomes Mephibosheth into his home to eat at the king's table all the days of his life. And so what a foretaste of the king of kings that he steps there into ministry. And what is he? What's the first inclination of the son of David? to move toward the lame and the blind and prioritize them and welcome them in. And as we even step back even further, we look at the whole, whole sweep of Scripture. That's what we see of God's own heart, His heart toward the lowly. He tells the people of Israel, pay careful attention to widows and orphans. He hears the cries of barren women like Hannah. His heart reaches out to include outsiders like Ruth and Rahab. He announces the birth of the Messiah to lowly shepherds. He's close to the broken in spirit, contrite in heart, who confess their sin and their rebellion. And at the same time, the Bible repeats, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You may not have a physical disability, You may even have a high standing in society. 
does not exclude you from God's grace. He welcomes those who admit their brokenness, their neediness, their greediness, their cruelty to others, their pride, their weaknesses, and then turn humbly to God for His mercy, His forgiveness, His restoration. These are the prioritized people because they follow the most prioritized person, the most humble one of all, Jesus, who became disabled, as it were, on the cross. He took the place of greatest humiliation, naked on a cross, took the punishment we deserve for our sin, in a sense, blamed in the Father's eyes for all our shameful, despicable deeds in thought and word, the lowliest servant of all. And so God the Father prioritized Him above all the others, exalted Him to the right hand of the Father, the Lamb on the throne forever. So in God's kingdom, the the prioritized people are the humble who follow the humble king. But since this is not who the world uh, prioritizes, Jesus's priorities are opposed. And we see the opposition in the rest of our passage today. If you'd pick up with me again in verse, in chapter 21, verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Now, there's two things here in this verse that they were indignant at. Look carefully. Chief priests and scribes saw, first, the wonderful things that he did. What did he just do? Welcoming these outcasts into the temple healing them, caring for them. They were indignant. Now, we have to realize what's going on here. Uh, Many of us have just grown up in, in our culture, and having people with disabilities around doesn't seem to be all that offensive. It was offensive to bring these outcasts who many thought at that time, and still many do around the world do, that they're, they're, this is God's curse on them. This is, they've sinned somehow. That's why they're, they're the way they are. Keep your finger here and turn back to Matthew chapter 11. Again, something we, we, you may have, can sometimes be overlooked. Chapter 11, verse 2. We hear about John the Baptist who had introduced Jesus' ministry, but was starting to have some doubts. Chapter 11, verse 2, Now when John, that's John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who has come? Or, or, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Oh my goodness, what an opportunity here to describe his own ministry and why John should be confident that Jesus truly really is the Messiah. Look at what Jesus says. 
Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. And the lame walk. And lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And then a very surprising phrase. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus' disposition of care toward the lowliest was offensive. A while back, I was in a Zoom call with uh, four groups of African leaders of disability ministries uh, throughout Africa. And I remember distinctly asking them at one point, what is the greatest challenge you face in your context? Kind of, it was kind of a leading question because I knew what the answer was. Um, it was going to be more finances. Very difficult in that context, financially speaking. That wasn't it. I, I, perhaps it would be more people to help with the ministry. That wasn't it. The most prevalent response was this. Their perspectives of people around them toward disabilities, both in their community and in the church. Do you know most churches in Africa and Asia have no one with a disability in them? You know why? It's because it's just cultural. There's so much stigma against people with disabilities. They're considered cursed. They're considered demon-possessed. Someone must have sinned. They're And then those who care for them and focus their ministry on them, there's bewilderment. Why would you waste your time on them? It's not worth the effort. Even in the Christian community, it's not an attractive population to reach out to. It looks messy. It looks hard. It's complicated. It looks inefficient. It's laborious. It's taxing. But God's economy is a very different economy than ours. Who does Jesus move toward? That's how God's heart is so often different from ours. In God's kingdom, the prioritized people are the humble who follow the humble king. But in this section of Matthew, it's not only emphasizing the prioritized people, it's it, go back to Matthew 21. Go back to Matthew 21. It's, it's also emphasizing something else. See, there's something else that the, the religious leaders are indignant about. Look at uh, verse, uh, verse 15 again. Uh, they saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, and they were indignant. So they must have been indignant of the fact that Jesus wasn't quieting these children, for what they were saying. And this gives Jesus an opportunity. Look at what Jesus says. Well, verse 16, And they said to him, Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? He quotes Psalm 8. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 8. It's a beautiful psalm. Uh, 
But there's a reason Jesus is quoting this psalm, Psalm 8. Perhaps you know how it begins and ends. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then it ends that way. But the, the key to this psalm is to realize that what he's trying to say is this God has a unique kind of majesty. What kind of majesty does this God have? Look at verse 1. You have set your glory above the heavens. Now that's majestic, yes, but out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. That's this kind of Yahweh's majesty. Yahweh has this kind of majesty. Now, um, Jesus is quoting the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, and the Greek translators used a different word here to explain what is going on here. That's why the, the, the translation doesn't exactly reflect what Jesus says to what's here. Here it says, you have established strength, um, or praise was the was what um, uh, the, the translators had included here. Because they want, may, may have wanted to explain an unusual metaphor the psalmist is using. What's coming out of the mouths of the babes, these smallest, these weakest of children are pictured singing, praising, singing in a way that stills the enemy, overpowers the enemy. In other words, what the psalmist is saying in verse 2 is, God triumphs over his enemies through the weak. That's the kind of majesty Yahweh has. Unusual majesty. And so what a perfect quotation for Jesus to use in Matthew 21. The religious leaders are silenced. If you look back at chapter 21... They don't say anything more. It's just conversation done. It's the end of the day. And what a day, a day that began with Jesus riding on a donkey in humility, a symbol of of, of humility, weakness. And the day ends with small children and their praises silencing the religious rulers. So Jesus triumphs through those he prioritizes, the lowly. So in God's economy, the lowly, he uses powerfully. So our previous point, in God's kingdom, the prioritized people are the humble who follow the humble king. Now we see in God's kingdom, the powerful people are the humble who follow the humble king. The powerful people. Not powerful in and of themselves, but powerful because God's works in and through them. And so you can combine or think about these two points as, as with this. Jesus prioritizes working powerfully through weak people. Jesus prioritizes working powerfully through weak people. I'd like to wrap up our time. No one told me how long to preach here, by the way. 
So I think I heard rumor Steve preached for a couple hours. Is that right? <laughs> I got plenty of time then. Now, let me give you four brief stories. Brief. Um, two from Scripture, one from Africa, one from my family. Think of the Apostle Paul. Again, I referenced the church in Corinth. How does he address that church? In the climax of the two letters of, of, to the Corinthians that we have in our New Testament, he gets to the climax in chapter 12, and he says, I could boast about some secret vision I had of heaven, but I'm not. I'm going to actually tell you about my weakness, my thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that is, but it emphasizes flesh, so maybe some kind of disability some have speculated blindness or maybe a stutter. We have, frankly, don't have any idea, but it was a thorn in the flesh. And he asked God to, to remove it and three times. And, and what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Same letter. We have this treasure, this gospel in jars of clay and brokenness to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Good news for us who feel weak and sufficient in ourselves, feel like jars of clay, fragile, broken pots. In our stumbling words, in our unattractive presentations, in our our lack of eloquence in our imperfect planning, our short-sighted decision-making, our unimpressive presence, our meager offerings, our sickness, cancer, disabilities, our mental illness, our weariness, our agedness. We look to the cross because God perfectly showed his power in weakness. Jesus' death on the cross. Remember the story of the blind man in John chapter 9? The disciples saying, who sinned? This man or his parents, he was born blind. Born blind, kind of ironic how could it have been his sin if he was born blind. But remember what Jesus said. It's not this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God would use and work through this weakness and brokenness to showcase God's power. God prioritized working powerfully through weakness. Another story, this time from Africa. Um, so in a ministry I was working with before... Uh, First Love was a ministry that focused squarely on um, people with disabilities internationally. See, when I was at Word Partners, one of the conversations I was having at the end of my time there was, what happens when the pulpit is transformed and God's word is being preached? It affects how we love others and love the lowest and weakest. And so part of that ministry, we were... Uh, partnering with ministries in, uh, in Africa that were training churches and people with disabilities regarding God's view of disability and weakness. And, and one lady named Zainab in Sierra Leone, she had been just a second workshop. Zainab had a, uh, 
a disability in her back, and she was really hunched over from very young. And she and her parents were told the very same message that uh, the disciples had was that you or your parents had sinned. That's, and frankly, that's most places in uh, Africa and Asia and other parts of the world. That is the prevalent idea about disability. And that's what she had grown up with. But she'd heard in this, this workshop that, no, she was made in the image of God as a human, even with a disability, that God loved her. Told about the, salva- the, the salvation that she could embrace herself, even with her disability. She could have a purpose and meaning. And so she went home, and she told her mother, and she convinced her mother of this. It was great freeing and brought them great joy, and they both realized that next door was a family who had a small child with a disability. And so they immediately, that very day, went over to this family and told this family this news that they'd come to realize. And you know, that was very important because disability so uh, uh, looked down upon that often when a child is found to have a disability, they're taken to the woods and just left there. Abandoned, so the creatures can take care of them. So they went to this family and said, "No, we've learned this message about about what God thinks." They convinced the family not to take their child out to the the woods. I heard that story. It's like, wow, that person, Zainab, used by God to save the very life of this small child with a disability. And so I think about your partnership with First Love as we focus on the most vulnerable around the world. Just think what God is doing in their lives as God prioritizes working through the weak, the vulnerable to powerfully work in the world. Final story is from my own life. Um, so you've, you've seen a, a photo of my, my, my family, our oldest son with, with Down syndrome. He, uh, uh, he uh, <laughs> was actually not our first uh, child, our first child, uh, passed away shortly after birth, and so this is our second child, and we had Down syndrome, and, and it was a big blow. God, what are you doing? And, and, and frankly, anger at God. We named him, bef- before we knew he had Down syndrome, we named him Trevor Kenneth, which is the irony. That means wise leader. And I thought, oh, phew. Kind of wise leader we're we gonna get with someone with Down syndrome. How ironic is that? Because that's exactly what he's been in our lives. God prioritizes working powerfully through weakness, and he does that in our lives. It could be said that no one has taught me more about this truth than my son Trevor. God's taught me about my own weakness. I thought it was a patient guy. Before I had kids, and then before I had someone with a, a disability. My own foolishness, my own pride, my upside-down thinking. He's taught us about suffering, about compassion, about laughter, about hugs. You know anybody about kids with Down syndrome? 
He loves to pray. I think he likes to pray because he knows it's unlikely anybody's going to interrupt him. So he'll just go. And uh, five minutes later, his younger brother is pulling on his pant leg. And he'll even, he did this the other day at the, uh, the, the, the dining room table. His brother was pulling on his leg and Trevor, kept, and thank you God that Oliver is pulling on my pant leg. And then he kept going. Um, but he'll preach a sermon pretty much while he's, everything he's heard from Sunday school and other places He'll preach to us as he prays. So I leave you with this. I wonder, how will God prioritize working powerfully through weak people around you? Both in your own life, in the life of this church. How will God prioritize working powerfully through your own weakness? For the blessing of those around you. Again, it was the uh, Corinthians, Paul said, it's the afflictions, the hardships, the weaknesses, it's God's opportunity to work through you to bless others, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, and would you just talk to God uh, for a moment about what he wants you to have heard from this message and take with you into the week? Father, we come on a Sunday morning and uh, we look nice, Uh, the singing is nice, but you know the, you know what's going on behind the scenes, you know what life is like at home or in our own hearts, the struggles we have, the disappointments, the disillusionments, the, the weakness. How good it is, Father, that we can come to you just as we are and just expecting that you can take us as jars of clay and you've given us this treasure of Jesus Christ and this precious good news of the gospel and you can powerfully work in and through us for your glory, because then everyone sees it's the surpassing power of God and not us. And so, Father, would you put yourself, would you put your glory, would you put your power on display through each of us and through this congregation? Father, I thank you that this congregation has been so faithful and and generous uh, in coming alongside first love in Nepal. Father, we pray that you would continue to work your power through those blessed by ministry, those who face such difficulties in life. Father, we pray for those in Nepal that they might come to know you and rejoice in who you are, a lamb on a throne, and all that means for us. pray this in Jesus' name.